this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. This episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by the Value Builder System. So you're an entrepreneur and you've got somewhere between a million and 10 million in annual revenue. And you're trying to figure out what's next. Maybe you wanna scale up, maybe you wanna sell, maybe you wanna bring in a manager and delegate some of the day-to-day stuff, bring in the next generation of leaders, maybe you wanna pass it down to your family. All of those options, the one prerequisite is that it's built to sell, that it's actually something that you could pass on to another generation without you. And that's really what we try to evaluate using the Value Builder score. It takes about 15 minutes to complete the questionnaire, and then you're going to get a readout of how your business would be viewed by an acquirer across eight unique dimensions that acquirers care about. Again, it takes only about 15 minutes. You can do it free at valuebuilder.com. So are you a doer or a deal maker? You know, I think you can categorize entrepreneurs in one of two buckets. You know, the doer is the guy or gal who kind of goes in every day and just sort of does the things that they know they need to do to move the business forward. They're kind of incrementally improving the business every day, every week, every month. And eventually over a 10, 20, 30 year run, they build a, a significant business, albeit perhaps a little slower, a little less fanfare, but they get the job done. And then there's the deal maker. And so the deal maker is the, again, the guy or gal who is the entrepreneur who's always looking for the next partner, the next strategy, the next strategic alliance, a company they can buy, a business they can fit in, a partnership they can forge. And they're always sort of on the prowl for the next deal. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I kind of live in sort of awe of the deal maker. Personally, I'm not really that way inclined. And so whenever I meet a deal maker, I'm always a little bit in awe of the way they think about the world because I think they see the world in a very different way. And my next guest, Jonathan Jay, is exactly that way. He's thinking about the next deal in his mind. And as you hear his story, he goes through a 20-year run and tells you about the story of, of starting three different businesses, selling all of them, investing in, getting sued, having partners. I mean, the story goes on and has a, a very interesting winding route. But at the end, Jay has come out from a 20-year run, a very wise person. And to hear some of his lessons along the way, here's Jonathan Jay. Jonathan Jay, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Hi, John. Good to be here. Yeah, so we've met, oh gosh, it was six years ago, I want to say, or five years ago, a while ago in Las Vegas. And you've had you've had three businesses that you've started and, and sold. So you know, walk us through this journey. Where, where did you start? Uh, what was your first business and how did you get to, to, to having three of them? Sure. Well, the, the first business that I that I sold was a, a magazine publishing business. I was 26, sold it when I was 27. I was approached by, um, I think it was a 
a management training company and they were looking for a, a publication to become their customer magazine. They saw ours. Um, I wouldn't say there was much uh, negotiating. I think they just set a price and I said yes. And I was I was 27. So um, I just saw it as a way to pay off my credit cards and, um, uh, and, and actually a way to get out of the magazine publishing business because I just started something new, which was a, a, a coaching, a coach training company where I hired a training team who would then teach um, individuals coaching skills. They would then take those coaching skills back into their company and become the the uh, internal coach in their organization, or they would start up their own coaching business. And that was a, a, a magnificent uh, business. I mean, from day one, we went from uh, a z- 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 £145 pound investment in day one to a million pounds in revenue in the first 12 months. I mean, it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful business right at the beginning of the, the life coaching wave. And that was in 1999. Mm. Um, so I segued from the magazine into that quite, quite uh, nicely. Um, that business grew um, uh, very well over the next uh, next few years. I had a, a lot of fun. Uh, I was still very young. I probably didn't realize how, how well it was actually uh, really was going because I didn't have anything to compare it with. And uh, had the business valued um, after about six years by a, a business broker who, who valued it at uh, two and a half uh, million pounds. He said I could get two and a half million, million pounds for it. Um, shortly afterwards, I had the opportunity to buy a competitor. It was actually our main competitor. It had been set up by people who'd worked for me and they'd gone off and set up in, in, in competition. Um, and they'd been competing with us for five years. And I got a phone call on a Monday morning um, from the owner of this, this competing coach school. And he said, uh, uh, would you come up to, to see me? Um, and I said, well, you know, I can come up next week. And he said, no, can you come up today? So, uh, so I, I got in my car, drove a couple of hours up to his office. In fact, he didn't want to meet in the office. He wanted to meet in a hotel. Um, and after a bit of uh, uh, talking, talking around the subject and a bit of small talk, he said, would you be interested in buying the business? And what I didn't appreciate was that it was distressed. Um, they, they were running up some, some bills that they couldn't pay um, and it, it, the sales weren't great, um, but it was still doing about a million pounds uh, a year in, in, in revenue. Um, so that was on the Monday morning and I owned the company um, on Friday afternoon. So, so it, 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 it was a pretty quick uh, turnaround. How, how, did you, how did you pay for it? What, what did you pay for the business? Um, I, I paid for it uh, with cash. Um, the, the coaching business was very, very cash generative. Uh, we had a, a, a huge uh, bank balance at the time. I was, again, like I said, I was so young. I didn't, I didn't realize how, how fortunate I was to be in that, um, that position. We paid for it in cash. We probably overpaid for it because I, I didn't appreciate how distressed it was. Uh, and I could have paid maybe 80% less um, uh, because it was about to go into administration, which I think you call uh, chapter 11. So uh, uh, so, so I, I, I got it on the on the Friday, uh, went into the office on the Monday morning, and uh, the people in the office saw their main competitor, me, in their office as their new boss. So there were people who were very angry, people who were very upset. Uh, some people were relieved, I think. Thing, but um, uh, it was a whole mix of, uh, of emotions. And I just merged that business into my coaching academy business. And then when I sold it uh, a year later, um, uh, it was worth $5 million. So I doubled the value through one acquisition. And so when you sold it for $5 million, who, who, what was that process like? I mean, did you, again, did you, did you sort of hire someone externally? Did you sell it yourself? 
Um, yes, I did hire someone. Um, uh, it was an individual uh, who'd set up a, a, a business brokerage uh, as a result of selling his business, actually. Mm. And uh, he was very, very patient. Uh, and I think you always need someone who's very patient uh, with you because uh, for me, it was my baby. I was very emotionally wrapped up in it because um, it had saved my financial life. I mean, it, had, it, it was it had turned around everything. It allowed me to buy houses and cars and go on holiday and do things that I couldn't have done before. So I was I was very attached to it. Um, and I now with the benefit of hindsight, I realized that the more emotionally attached to you are to your business, uh, the less you'll be paid for it. Um, and the converse is the more detached you are, the more money you'll make when you uh, when you sell. But I was very, very attached. And um, uh, I sold it to a, a private equity firm. Um, and they were forensic with their due diligence. And uh, they showed us the due diligence report, which is very good of them, so that we could come back and say, look, this is wrong, and your guys have misunderstood this, that, and the other. Um, and I read this due diligence report, and uh, it made me uh, upset and angry at the same time, because I thought they've, they've just ripped my company apart. Um, why do you want to buy if it's so bad? Um, but of were, course, Were they trying to lower the price that they'd offered you? Yeah, originally? absolutely. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, yeah, and suggesting um, that uh, some of the accounting policies weren't correct, which is just uh, any, anything really just to, to chip, a, chip away at the, at the price. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it turned out to be a, a, a good result. Um, I think I was 34, uh, 34 when I sold. So, um, it was, uh, you know, a, a, a magnificent result and allowed me to go and invest in property and do things again, which, uh, um, which I couldn't have done otherwise. What um, was the, what was the original offer they gave you? And then how much less was the, the final offer after the due diligence negotiation? That's a, uh, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I think probably the structure changed. I think it started off, I know there was a, another 2 million in deferred consideration that I never saw, obviously. I never I never got that bit, um, but I never probably expected to either. So uh, the, the, so I think it started off at about seven and then it went down to five with the with the deferred um, element based upon profitability or something. Or some, it was 10 years ago now, so, so some, some, something like that. Um, but having said that, I was, I was happy with it. Um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a, a, a like I said, it was a, it was a, a really wonderful business and it's still going strongly now. It's, it's, uh, still flourishing, um, yeah, 10 years later. Isn't that interesting? And so the deferred piece that you, uh, that you kind of, I think you said you didn't expect to get it. Why, why did you not expect to get the deferred piece? Um, well, uh, like, uh, like most business owners, when they put together their forecasts for the future, uh, they're very optimistic about the, um, uh, about what's going to happen in, in future years. And, and I, and I thought, you know what, you know, if I was still running the business for another couple of years, I reckon I could have pulled it off. I could have, I could have come up with something that would, would that would create those, those hit those sales figures. Um, I, 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 I wasn't so sure whether someone else would hit those sales figures with such confidence. Uh, in fact, in some ways, it, it wasn't actually worth their while to hit the sales figures. I'm not suggesting that 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 anything like that happened uh, at, at all. But um, yeah, there's 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 always a a, a little bit of uncertainty around um, uh, deferred consideration, as 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 you know. So this is the second of three businesses that you've sold. Now, you I mean, take me into your head. 
once the check clears the bank. I mean, how did that change your life? You, uh, you mentioned some of the things you bought, houses and so forth. Um, how did it kind of affect you emotionally? Oh, it was it was it was like I'd um, I, I'd split up with a uh, with a, with a girlfriend. It was um, it was it was really quite uh, quite upsetting. I used to look at the website every day and uh, get frustrated when they changed something that I didn't think they should have changed. I mean, no, it's not my business anymore. But I was still acting as though I I I had been separated from it by force, which of course I hadn't. You know, it was it was a very willing a very willing sale, um, and it took several months to get out of that uh, out of that way of thinking. And the way I, I I dealt with it was to start another business, um, which was crazy. Really, I should have taken, I should have forced myself, should take a, a, a year off or two years off, um, and and done other things. But I'd been so focused on the business, I didn't have anything else to do. I didn't really have any hobbies or interests that would be particularly absorbing, other than the business. The business was was my life. So it felt very, very empty, actually. And I probably didn't make the wisest decisions afterwards, because um, I don't know, I just didn't, I, I, I was just emotionally void. It just seemed this big, big hole in my life, uh, all, all of a sudden. Um, but I started another business, I, I thought, what do I know more about than anything else? And, and the, the answer was was marketing, direct response marketing, getting people to raise their hand and say, yes, I want to buy what it is that you sell. So I started a, a direct response um, marketing uh, business. Um, and uh, I think I started that about uh, 12 weeks, 12 weeks after the sale, which was um, crazy, really. But uh, yeah, jump, jumped, I jumped straight back into it. This was the Digital Lighthouse Company. Yeah. Yeah, and tell us. So tell us about that business. What what uh, what kind of company was that? Well, we started off by by running seminars and teaching people how to um, market their business uh, more effectively. So we did one day seminars and two day seminars and and twelve month um, programs where we would work with that business owner for twelve months, but but in a, in a group. So there might be twenty or thirty business owners in that group, and uh, yeah, that was it was it was very enjoyable, um, but it was also quite frustrating because uh, quite often the business owner would go off and not actually do anything in the month. Uh, the interim months between that meeting and the next meeting, um, and the, their big struggle was always finding the the right web people and the right technical people and the copywriters and the the people who understood it all. Uh, and then more and more people were saying to me, Jonathan, could your team that do the marketing for your company do our marketing as well? So we started to segue into doing um, the marketing for other businesses, and hmm. and things really started to take off. Uh, in actual fact, reading your book. Um, uh, was quite instrumental in the way we structured it because I realized that I needed a systematic approach that that I could scale without losing the quality um, and have a process that was driven by the process and the system rather than the people. So, um, and I can't remember how I came about your book the, the first time, but, um, uh, uh, you know, well, I, I was obviously impressed enough to come over to Las Vegas and, and spend that week with you, um, however many years ago it was, because it, we really reformatted the business. And we created a digital marketing system, uh, and uh, that system was uh, uh, video and email marketing all done in one. So the, the the customer who would be a small business owner would um, uh, sign one piece of paper, and as a result of signing that one piece of paper, they knew that their email marketing was taken care of, their video marketing, their landing pages, um, their remarketing, all of these technical things. And we we charged um, uh, depending on the 
the package and it changed slightly over the years, but but anything from ten thousand pounds to thirty thousand um, pounds for it. And for you. Uh, um, well, that was really for the package. Okay. So the, the package typically would be a year, but it might be a little bit longer if the at the at the higher um, end of the the pricing scale. Um, and I, I was always thinking, how do we grow this business? How do we get scale? Because I should say that I started the business to sell it. Mm. That was you know, after after selling the coaching business, I wanted to prove to everyone, and this was all part of this emotional thing afterwards, that I could do it again. I wasn't a one-trick pony, so I thought, right, I'll start something new and I'll sell it, and I'll sell it for more than I sold last time, just to prove that I can do it again. So I always wanted to sell the business, but we found it really hard to get scale in those in those early days. So um, I, I I thought how can I find a strategic partner? How can I find someone who's already got the customers that I want? And I found someone who already had the customers that I want. And I went to him and I said, look, I know we don't know each other very well, but you've got the customers and you've got a business that you can't sell. It's an unsaleable business because it's built around you, the individual. And he said, yes, I agree this, with that. This was another advertising agency or marketing um, agency? It was, a, it was an individual who, um, uh, you know how if you look on Facebook, yeah, there's lots of people, the, the marketing guru type people who uh, promote seminars and, and online courses. So it was that type of type of person. Um, and I said, look, we've got uh, we've got a, a business that can be sold because it's productized and it doesn't depend upon any individual personality fronting it. Why don't we put your customers into this business, combine the two um, and then happy, happy days. So it, it all made perfect sense. And an actual fact, our biggest problem in the first 12 months was too many customers, which is a, always a lovely problem to have. And I'm not complaining too much, but it but it, it broke the system, if you like. I mean, yeah. we, were, we were hiring staff. You know, we'd interview someone and say, can you start this afternoon? I and mean, it was it was that the speed of growth was it was it was hard to to control. In fact, there was no control. In fact, so the first 12 months, I probably worked harder than I'd worked in the combined five years prior to that. Let, let uh, me let me just stop you there. Just I want I want to understand that the relationship you had with the marketing guru. Um, like how did you structure it? Did you did you have a revenue sharing agreement that he would get some portion of the top line revenue that you were garnering? Or was it like a no, we, equity. I, 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 equity, yeah, equity. I, I, I sold him shares in the business. I see. Uh, so you, you sold him or gave him shares in, 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 uh, in sort of return I, for his access uh, to his list? That's a very good question, John. Um, I sold him shares on a nominal basis. So um, he ended up with 50% of my company um, mm. for very little cash. Uh, why but, did you do it for such a low nominal fee? Like, what, why not just give him the shares? Uh, well, I did practically give him the shares. <laughs> so um, it was just—it was just you—you know, you need some, to have some some financial transaction, I believe, to to make it a uh, a, a legal transaction. So we 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 sold we sold we sold we sold him the shares. It was a nominal amount, but he was bringing to the table his database and his and his his uh, relationship with Got that it. that database. Um, we had a shareholders agreement, um, but uh, I skimped. On the legals, um, and I think I'd had some. Uh, actually, I, I did. I had had some huge legal bills the the year before. Um, there was someone uh, who, who was a contestant on the uh, Apprentice TV show um, who ran a digital marketing agency, and one day she woke up and said um, everything that we were doing had been copied from her. 
uh, which was just remarkable because you can't copy landing pages and video and social media. I mean, it doesn't belong to anyone. <laughs> so we had to defend this um, this court case and it cost a fortune. It was over a hundred thousand pounds in in uh, in legal fees. So when it comes to, it came to doing the shareholders agreement, I thought I don't want to spend more money on <laughs> legal fees. So I got it done very inexpensively. It was a terrible mistake. It was it it must have it cost me a lot of sleepless nights and it cost me uh, an awful lot of money uh, in, in the future. Um, so a big, big piece of advice is if you're doing a shareholders agreement, get it done properly and don't rush it. We were under time pressure to complete it and we shouldn't have rushed it. We should have taken it slowly and done it properly. What was the term that got you into trouble or what was the lack of term that, that, uh, that you should have had in there that you didn't? What happens if we don't agree? Because we were a, a, a a, a pure 50, 50. There was, there was no, none, neither of us had control. So I still felt of it. It, that was my business. Um, but he probably felt that it was now his business. So you, when you've got two people knocking heads, the business suffers as a Mm -hmm. result. And after a year or so, we started knocking heads. Um, we wanted to do things. Uh, and I should say that he wasn't even based in the UK. He was in another country. So, so, um, he wanted to, to do things that, uh, we didn't want to do. Uh, we wanted to do things he didn't want to do. Um, the only thing in the shareholders agreement that saved us a few times was that I would be responsible for the day-to-day management of the business. And, uh, as a, as a result, you know, although he was, he was firing members of staff by email. Um, it was just awful, 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 awful. And eventually I bought my shares back. Um, that was the only way to, to, to maintain stability and to get, get my business back under my control. How much did you buy them back for? Well, uh, that's interesting because the, uh, the price uh, that he wanted was, um, uh, was 10 million pounds uh, for, for his shares. And uh, I didn't have 10 million pounds to, um, to, to, uh, to, 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 to hand over. Um, Jonathan, just before we get into that, what, what was the uh, legal structure? Did, did, your, did your shareholders agreement contemplate what would happen in the event that one partner did want out? I mean, did you have a shotgun no, clause no, or, or anything no, like that? No, okay. that's what I mean. I mean, it was just it was just um, incomplete. I mean, the the, the goal, as as I said, was to was to sell the business. So mm. we'd actually hired a, a corporate advisory, and um, we'd had a very um, uh, interesting offer at twenty one million pounds. Uh, and of course, twenty one million pounds, huge amount of money. There was a slight problem uh, with the offer, though. And the offer was ten and a half million pounds in cash to my partner. And my ten and a half million pounds in shares. So I would actually get zero in cash, and I would have to continue running the business on the potential that there would be a secondary buyout three to five years in the future, and that's when I would cash out. Uh, and of course, that was just untenable. I mean, you know, it was just not 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 going to happen. Then we had a second offer at a slightly lower level, um, which we pursued, but. Our relationship was so fragmented, um, we couldn't agree on the heads of terms. Um, he didn't want to sign a, conf- um, a, uh, a non-compete uh, clause, um, which, of course, sent the buyer into a tailspin. You know, why does your partner what, not want to hire, you know, agree to, to non-compete? Is, is he intending to compete? And I'm saying, well, no, he says he won't compete. And I said, well, if he won't compete, he needs to, he needs to have it in the agreement. So that all crumbled and fell apart. Um, so when I said, look, I'm, I'm going to buy the – I'll buy the shares back from you. I started off at I'll buy them back for a pound. 
um, and he said 10 million. So we were quite a long way apart. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and uh, we didn't meet in the middle. I, I, we ended up, it, it was a few thousand pounds um, that, that I ended up paying him for. So, so again, that, that whole process was about three months of posturing and legal fees because we weren't talking to each other. It was, all, it was going backwards and forwards with the, the, the lawyers, but I eventually got the business back. You got um, you got you got to help me understand something. So, so if I'm the the partner, uh, this marketing guru, um, and 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 you're looking at an offer for twenty one million pounds, and and the offer says that ten and a half million would go to me as the marketing guru in cash, the other ten and a half to to you in shares. In my mind, as 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 your partner. I think my shares are probably worth around 10 million pounds. Yeah, because well, I just where, had that's an where offer. You got the number from? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But remember so, that was a that was a, a pre uh, due diligence offer. Um, it was uh, a, an offer that was um, uh, yeah. It, there's a big difference between the offer and the actual sale price. Um, but he was basing it on the offer, as you quite rightly said. Yeah. So I mean, how would how would like I'm struggling to see how he would go from thinking his his shares were worth 10 million pounds to to giving them to you for a few thousand pounds. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, it depends how big your legal fees are. Um, if you're using one of the most expensive lawyers in London, and and you might you might consider, you know what? Let's just take an amount of money that covers the, the legals and walk away. Um, I think actually the key the key thing was that in the in the shareholders agreement, it, he was not allowed to compete with the activities of the company, uh, and he wanted to compete with the activities of the company. So mm-hmm. by exiting his shareholding, he could then compete, which I think he did pretty much the next day. I see. I see. So yeah. you were basically Im- impeding his ability to, to do what Absolutely. he did really well. Yes. Interesting. And so so you were able to get your shares back for a few thousand pounds. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Wow. But, okay. But, so but, where but, does this... But, this Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, John. Just one one point there is that, but during this whole time, and it's probably about five or six months, um, our business was very much a transactional business where we would um, we'd advertise, we'd sell something, we'd get the customer, we'd go and find another customer, and we just keep on finding customers. Um, so uh, during that five six months, um, I probably didn't really want to to build the value of the business um, too 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 much because uh, why would I build the value of a business that I'm going to buy some of the shares back, uh, you know? From from. Um, and uh, so the business kind of, I wouldn't say ground to a halt, but it, but it was, it was slow going for six months, which was, which was frustrating for me and the staff, the staff were hugely frustrated by it. Mm. How many staff would, did you have at this point? Um, that, at that point, 18, 20, something like that. Got it. Okay. So a significant team kind of back at the home office. Well, and yeah, how did, yeah. how did this this scrap that you were having with your partner, how did, how did it impact the team? Well, they were very aware of it. Um, and, uh, and I, and I think I had the support of, of most, most people, but it was, it was demoralizing. It was very demotivating. Um, and we started to lose people. Uh, we started to lose people because uh, they they couldn't see a happy ending. I think, mm-hmm. um, even though the ending was sort of reasonably happy, uh, you know, they, they, you know pe- people don't. You know, if 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 you rely upon a business, you know, the, your employer for your income, then you you might look you might look elsewhere. So it was it was a it was a diff it was a really difficult time. 
Um, and and again, looking back, I probably invested too much emotion into it, and I should have I should have been a, a lot more um, uh, calculating uh, about it. But it is hard when you're in it. it, it it's easy to say that after the fact. It's all, when you're in it, it's always emotional. Sure. So you you got your shares back. Now what? What do you what do you do now? Well, around about the same time, um, when uh, I said we received some offers for the business, um, I had put together a list of potential buyers, and uh, one of them I'd connected with on LinkedIn. And uh, I thought it'd be interesting talking to him because I thought, okay, I can't, I, I, my, my sale has sort of all fallen, fallen apart. Um, what if I merged with another business to create an even bigger entity and go back to market in twelve months' time? So I connected with this guy on LinkedIn. He came over to the office, had a coffee, and he said, I'm not really the person you need to speak to. This is who you need to talk to. So I connected with uh, this, this guy, and we, we, we sat down. We had several conversations. And I said, look, you know, I'd be very open about my motives. Um, I think that if we merged the two businesses, um, we would uh, – and they were private equity owned. So, of course, I knew that an exit would be on their minds you know, in the near future. And they'd been private equity owned for like five years. So they're probably – we're coming to the end of the term. So, so I thought, well, if we, if we combine the two businesses, look, we're going to have a, a, a beautiful business and, um, uh, and we'll, we'll all win. And he said, well, look, not so interested in the merger, but would you like to buy the business completely? So uh, we went through um, uh, several months of backwards and forwards and meetings because it was private equity owned. There, were, there was a, a whole management team and the, there was a chairman and it was all very, very um, complex for a relatively small business, a 4 million uh, revenue revenue business. And uh, they were absolutely adamant that this was not a distressed business. You know, Jonathan, do not think this is a distressed business. This is a very, you know, we've got a few little issues here and there. But those issues, <laughs> the more the more we spent time with them, the more we realized those issues were absolutely huge issues. Uh, there were all manner of skeletons from the, from the past. It had been running for 10 years. Um, it had gone through many changes of management. Uh, they had a massively demotivated staff team. The churn on the staff was just huge. They were losing, um, I think it was something like 10 people every single month. Uh, so, and, and that was, you know, it started off with like 150 staff and it was just sh shrinking. Uh, and it was, they, they didn't have a sales and marketing strategy. They didn't really have a sales team that was effective. I mean, that, oh, it was a, it was a unmitigated disaster, but in the core of the business was a fantastic 3 million pounds of recurring revenue. Um, and these were people buying um, digital services like SEO, PPC, pay-per-click advertising. And that that core was, SEO being for those not familiar search yeah, engine optimization search absolutely engine yeah so 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 when you type in the you know for what you're looking for on the internet um, SEO is is making sure that company pops up in the first uh, first ten um, search results so um, th and this was this was this had been sold on a recurring revenue stream this so so every month they were paying 200 300 500 thousand pounds a month uh, and they had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of customers like this and they had hundreds of customers on hosting and all so, you know, this beautiful recurring revenue model so i was very very um, interested but the more we looked at it the more problems there were and I, I sent a guy in to do due diligence for a week and he came out and he wrote me this report and he said oh it's just it's just a crazy crazy business and um, so we ended up buying the business um for a a reasonably nominal amount um, uh, actually a very uh, very nominal amount um, and uh, but we took on all the liabilities as well and uh, were there significant liabilities yeah yeah there was there was there was uh, well over a, 
uh, a million pounds worth of liabilities. Um, and, and when you say liabilities, again, for folks maybe who don't know what that means, you mean like there was debt that, that the yeah. business had? Yeah, I mean, they, they were in some crazy contracts with with you know um, cars and you know, all these leasing contracts that were running for for years and years and years. They just couldn't afford. Um, you know, they were paying for cars that weren't even sitting in the car park anymore. Um, and uh, there was uh, uh, tax debts from some exotic tax avoidance schemes that had been set up years and years earlier that um, the government might have been happy with five years ago. But now they're saying, you know what? You know, we need some money. Let's go and collect in some money from those those tax avoidance schemes. So they were kind of legal, but the loopholes have been closed, and and the government wanted something for them. So there were there was there, there were all these, and you know, it was it was a, a nightmare. I mean, there was like 120 website builds that hadn't been completed, and it took us two weeks to even find out what these websites were and who they belonged to and you know, who they were building the websites for. There was absolutely, there was, it, it was like a headless chicken scenario. Everyone just running, running around, no one really knowing what they were doing. I think there were 87 staff when, when we, when we took over. For and a four million pound company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was incredible. Massively overstuffed. And so, some of the staff were, were just, um, some of the staff were just uh, creating reports on what other people were doing. So um, it was, you know, there were, there were three receptionists for a company that didn't actually ever have visitors. Um, the management team that represented a huge chunk of the cost, you know, the 650000 a year in salaries, um, they all had PAs. Uh, so they all went in the first week. So we restructured the internally very, very quickly. PA um, being the, the British term for executive assistance. Oh, oh executive assistance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, and I think the assistants had assistants as well. So, so it was <laughs> It was this, this nightmare of of what you almost what you'd expect from from a, an overburdened private equity run business, and I, I should say that the private equity firm weren't really interested in it. They were they they bought it, they lost interest for whatever reason. Um, maybe it hadn't grown in line with expectations. They they hadn't even looked at it for years. They they didn't care about it. So so really, the the, the business wasn't being run by anyone who really loved it and cared for it and wanted it to do well. I mean, everyone was just taking money out of it. Um, they were just taking salaries and expenses. I mean, uh, it was it was just it was it was a ludicrous mess. So as an entrepreneur, I look at it and my goodness, there's so much wastage in here. We can we can do something with this. When you look at it and you evaluated that there was a, a roughly a million pounds of liabilities you were absorbing. Did that include the estimated severance cost of the employees that you figured you'd have no. to let go? No, no. Uh, and, and we paid- Wouldn't that single. severely underestimate that though? Yeah. I mean, that, that was a significant liability, I would think, with all these, these redundant employees. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and many of them were on three months notice. Um, because they, because of the churn of the employees, they changed people's contracts um, to to uh, they paid them more money, more money than they should have been paid. So they went above market market rates, plus locked people in on a three month notice period. Why and of did, course, why we paid the three but, months. But why didn't you include that in your estimate of of the liability you were absorbing in in buying this company? Well, it wouldn't have changed the consideration that we paid for it. Mm. Uh, it wouldn't have. It was. Bit, it was rather hard to reduce it any lower than the amount that we actually um, we actually paid. 
um, and we paid just a few pounds for the, for for the business. Uh, so so it would get really, but get uh, absorbed all these liabilities. Yeah, absolutely. So so we could legally restructure the business using the the, the laws of insolvency to to restructure it in such a way that would allow us to um, to separate the good part of the business from the bad part of the business. But the the sellers had, and I'm not quite sure why they did this. Um, but they, and I'm also not sure why I agreed to it. Um, they, the, there would be no corporate restructuring for six months. Now, if I was to do something differently, I'd say no way. Look, if it's my business, I'm doing what I want. You can't tell me what to do with my business after um, I, I bought it. But it was a it was a sort of anti-embarrassment clause because um, you know, anti-embarrassment meaning that they didn't want me to buy the business for virtually nothing uh, and then next week sell it for money that. And they would be embarrassed by by mm. that situation. So there was this anti-embarrassment. So that was a six-month exclusion. So on six months and one day, so we let the six months expire. We started restructuring, uh, and uh, we appointed a a, a, um, a business broker to to, to market the uh, the business. So we moved very very quickly. It was it's been a you know it was a whirlwind. Um, experience, uh, but the the goal was always to sell a business that um, I'd been unable to sell because of the the various um, personality clashes in the in in the other company. So now we actually had something which which we could which we could market and and sell, uh, and you know, we we sold the company um, reasonably quickly. Uh, there were a few delays, but we 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 sold it quite quickly. And uh, the, the the lesson learned was that I actually made more money from selling a company that I'd owned for less than twelve months than I did from a company that I had slaved over for the previous seven or eight years. And that was a, that was a wake that was upsetting, John, because <laughs> I, I'd worked so hard for seven or eight years. If someone had told me, Jonathan, just buy a business for virtually nothing, wait 12 months and then sell it, you'll make more money. Do it. And I know it's not all about the money, but sometimes the money is quite important. And if someone had told me that, um, I probably wouldn't have jumped into starting a new business after selling the coaching business. Isn't that fascinating? What a great lesson. So I just want to make sure that people capture sort of what you did to prepare this kind of dog's breakfast business. So you you take on this business. Uh, it's got this little diamond in the rough of this $3 million SEO company all on recurring contracts. So I get that piece, but but around it is all this flabby garbage of crazy contracts and redundant employees. So what was it? I mean, did you put it into bankruptcy to to get rid of some of these employees and the and the underperforming assets, or or did you did you restructure it? You know, as a going concern, like how did you actually restructure it and get it ready to go to market again? Yeah, I mean, the laws around this are probably different in the UK uh, to other parts of the world, um, and uh, we we just went by the book, followed the uh, an insolvency process. It didn't actually affect the staff because we went through a redundancy process with the staff right there in month one. So if the even for the people on three months' notice, um, you know, they, they were out the door within three to three to four months, and every single Member of staff got paid every penny that they that they were due, even though they may not have warranted it. They 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 were they were paid it, uh, and then we um, uh, so we reduced the cost base massively. We moved to smaller offices. Um, you know, we we just did everything we could to to not not spend any money. Uh, but then you know we went through the insolvency process because there was all this 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 uh, tax tax debt that in a month of Sundays it just 
never would have uh, never would have been uh, paid paid off. So um, we ended up with uh, um, I bought a. Another, I bought another company, John, a couple of years earlier called the, the Marketing Guild, and we 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 basically merged merged the good parts of this SEO company into the into the Marketing Guild, um, and and that was the business that we sold. So we we managed to sell it because it didn't have the the history, it didn't have all the problems um, that uh, of ten years uh, in 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 this other in this other company. So so. Uh, sorry, I just realised that wasn't very clear. What I what I what I mean is that we managed to sell a clean entity um, without a history, which made it attractive to a buyer. Got it. Got it. Because because you put the messy kind of part, if if you will, into insolvency, you know, into a bankruptcy sort of uh, proceeding, and then carved out the the right. the, the, the the chunk that was was good, being the uh, the SEO business and, and merged it into a different company. Yeah, absolutely. And, Got it. And, 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 and actual fact, the, the previous owners of this SEO company could have done the same. Yeah. Hey, isn't there like, I, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not a lawyer. I like for this thing from a lawyer, but I can, like, isn't there a law that says, um, you know, the owner can't it, like, you know, weeks before putting a company, taking a company into the insolvency process or, or, or you know, basically declaring bankruptcy, strip out all the assets. And it seems like it's- Oh, no, it, no, no I sh- sorry, sorry. I missed out a rather important point to, that makes this, um, uh, <laughs> make, 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 might make more sense, is that the, um, the, the new company, the, 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 the marketing guild business, acquired, purchased the assets for, for money. For cash, I see. Okay, and yeah. and those then that cash went to the creditors. So it was all done completely. Yeah, you know, we made sure absolutely it was done by the book, absolutely uh, the right way, um, so that uh, you know, so so that it was an indisputable transaction. And so, are you working with a lawyer at this point? I mean, it, well, it seems like yeah. it, it's 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 way above my pay grade for sure. Well, do you remember I said about the um, the, the the coaching academy uh, competitor uh, yeah. that I, that I purchased? Um, I use the same lawyer, uh, so it's a, a, a very long relationship over. I think it's twelve years now, um, and. Um, yeah, I, and I think when you're when you're doing any sort of transaction like this, whether it's distressed or or, or, or flourishing, um, you need to have good legal support. You need to have someone that you get on with, uh, because you'll be spending a lot of time talking to them. So someone who doesn't irritate you and frustrate you, um, someone who communicates in the way that 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 you that you appreciate, um, and uh, and and someone that you that you trust is giving you the the best advice, um, and someone who who charges fairly, and that isn't necessarily the cheapest because I found out that the cheapest isn't the best. Uh, so um, so you've got you've got to pay a, a fair price, you've got to pay a good price to get a good lawyer. Uh, but it's such an having those sorts of professional advisors is is absolutely paramount. I mean, you're obviously a, a tremendous communicator and a great marketer. Is there any part of you that wishes that you could sort of rewind the clock and go back to the coaching practice before you merged with the company up north and just sort of run one business cleanly without shareholders, without partners? I mean, do you see, I guess when I hear the story, I hear, uh, you know, lots of partners, lots of complexity, legals, you know, probably more so than anyone would want to deal with in a, in a career. Is there a part of you that looks at it and says, maybe I should just run the company, like run one company as opposed to doing all this fancy sort of maneuvering or, 
or are you sort of addicted to the deal kind of thing? Are you do you feel like that the the uh, the maneuvering, if you will, I don't know if that's the right word, is is where you you're adding value. Like, do, do you see what I'm, yeah. I'm getting? Yeah, no, I, I, I do see what you mean. And and yeah, there there are two ways. I mean, there's there's the there's having the quiet life, which is basically mm. just running the business year in year out, uh, making a profit, um, uh, or sometimes not making a profit. You know, having good years, bad years. And I know that, I know that people do that for decades. And I'm certainly not knocking that. I've done it myself. And I, I understand I understand. The, the the benefits of that because you know every year is the same as the previous year no surprises um, but I I think that um, uh, a, a lot of entrepreneurs are at heart deal makers and uh, a, a deal maker um, you know there might be a little bit more uh, ups and downs and a bit more excitement if you like um, but uh, you know what what I would if if it was me starting a, again I, I would say I'd look I'd look for a business um, that was maybe underperforming I'd, I'd acquire the business I'd fix the things that were uh, underperforming um, but I wouldn't go through that learning curve of three years of of um, will it work, won't it work? Let's find something that is working, but it's but something's not something's broken. Maybe the sales and marketing is broken, but the product's great. Um, maybe the, the the sales and marketing great, but the product needs to be improved. And then I'd find a, a another business that would be similar to it, and I'd put it together and have the the, the benefits of economies of scale. So I wouldn't need two accounts offices, I wouldn't need uh, two HR offices, I wouldn't need whatever. And and I and I would then say, okay, how we how do we create a third business, a fourth business, and put them all together um, and and build the business faster that way. And when you look at businesses that grow through rapid corporate growth, it's really hard to do that organically year on year. And they typically do it through acquisition. Um, and acquisition doesn't mean spending millions of pounds of your own money. It means spending someone else's money, usually you know, a, a lender like a like a bank, um, or it means buying the business for for no money down, um, which sounds a little bit of a pipe dream, but you know, I've done it. I know you can do it. Buying a business for very little cash um, and uh, you know, may, maybe taking the business owner who's frustrated and turning them into the person who runs the business on a guaranteed salary, uh, rather than the person who says, "Will I make any money this month or not?" So, yeah, it is complicated. It's not everyone's cup of tea. But I think that there are a lot of entrepreneurs who want to transform into deal makers who say, "You know, I can actually do more by buying other businesses than if I just work at this this business with my head down every every year." Love it. Yeah, no, it's a, you know, it's certainly not a, a space I, I know for firsthand. So I find it fascinating to get inside your mind and hear how it, uh, all the pieces kind of fit together, uh, together in a, in a, in a meaningful way. So I, I appreciate you sharing this story with us. Where do people reach you, Jonathan? What's the best way for, for folks to find you? Um, yes, just setting up a, a new website uh, for for uh, the the next the next thing, John. Um, so richmondhouseinvestments.com. So richmondhouseinvestments.com. Got it. And and that will just give us a sort of a, a glimpse into what that will be. I'm assuming you're going to be investing in companies and and. Helping improve I'm them. Yeah, I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking for, for businesses where they feel that some sales and marketing expertise um, can can help. They've got a great product, great service, but they need to get off that plateau and start growing. I'm also looking for, for, for business owners who say, you, you know what? What you've just been talking about sounds very interesting. I'd like to learn how to do that. And either they become co-investors with me uh, in, in, in businesses that allows me to scale by having other people that I can work with, um, or they want to take that skill, those skills and knowledge and go off and, 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 and do what I've done and do it themselves. Do the URL again. It's richmondhouseinvestments.com. Jonathan J., thanks for joining us. Pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W.